The reading today is from Luke 20, verse 45, to Luke 21, verse 4. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Thanks be to God. Oh, thanks for reading for us, Jenny. I want to start this morning by taking us back 150 years. Uh, the year is 1859. Um, we're in America. Uh, precisely, we're in a place called Niagara Falls, uh, and this guy has just come to town. don't know if you recognise him or have ever seen the face before. Charles Blondin, he's a French acrobat. He's been training to be an acrobat since he was five years old, never went to school or anything like that. He's just been an acrobat his whole life. Um, and he's come to America seeking fame and fortune, and he's got this big idea. He wants to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. There he is. So he gathers a crowd, uh, sets up his tightrope, three, 350 metres across, that's yeah, quite a long way, uh, and across the tightrope he goes, back again, uh, and of course this draws lots of attention, and, and Blondin tells the watching crowd, come back next week, bring your friends, bring even more people, more and more people, and I'm going to do something even bigger. And so the next week, even more people come, and this time he walks across again, only the second time he does it blindfolded. And he says again, come back, bring even more people. I'm going to keep doing better and better stunts. Bring even more people, even more. And so more and more people come every week. And every week, Blondin does something even more impressive. So uh, one week, he, he hops across the tightrope in a big sack. Uh, another week, he walks across on stilts. Uh, another, another week, he pushes a wheelbarrow across. Uh, one week, perhaps most famously, he walks across with a little mini stove and a little frying pan and some eggs, and he sits down on the tightrope, and right above Niagara Falls, he cooks and eats an omelette. True story. Uh, and every week, there are bigger and bigger crowds, and they're just, they're just looking for ways which they can make this more and more impressive. So um, one week, they have the idea that uh, Charles Blondin wants to carry someone across the tightrope on his back, which is a pretty cool idea. But the question is, who's going to volunteer to be carried across Niagara Falls on a tightrope on someone's back? Who's going to do it? So they, you know, they kind of start asking around and they're not really finding any volunteers. So they advertise and they put up signs, you know, who's going to be brave enough to do this? Don't think I'd be putting my hand up. Don't know if anyone here would be thinking, yep, that's for me. Um, any hands? No? No, don't think so. Um, but, but one or two people do come forward, three or four, I think. Um, and Blondin gathers them together and he takes them to the edge of the precipice and he makes them look down, look at the falls. Um, and he talks to them about how he's going to do it and how he's going to make sure it's safe. And he gets a big sack full of weight that weighs about the same weight as a person and he carries that across the tightrope on his back as well. And he goes back to these people who have volunteered and he says, okay, look, I've explained to you how it works. I've shown you that I can do it. Do any of you, do any of you doubt that I can do this safely? And they all say, yeah, you know, actually, I think you actually can do this. I think you've, you've got what it takes. And then he says, 
well, okay, who's going to do it? Crickets. None of them would do it. Now, the question is, is that surprising? I don't think it is surprising. I, I don't know if you're surprised. Um, none of them wanted to step out and be carried across the falls. I, I don't think we're surprised because we know something. We know that intellectually understanding something is not always enough. They might have believed that it was safe, but they still didn't want to go out there and be carried across that tightrope and have to look down at those raging falls beneath them. Sometimes intellectually believing something isn't enough, right? Here at uh, Trinity Trinity Church Brighton this term, we're doing a series that we're calling The King Among Us. We've been going through part of the book of Luke. Uh, We're looking uh, looking at the week leading up to Easter. Uh, And the big idea is this, Jesus has come out of the villages and towns, he's come to Jerusalem, he's come to be among the people, and he's come to show them who he is, to confront them about who he is, um, to show them that he's the king. And he's been particularly confronting the Jewish leaders, they've had all these arguments, all these discussions, Jesus has been showing them who he is. Uh, But in today's passage, Jesus now turns, He's, he's finished speaking to the Jewish leaders, now he turns to his disciples, time to speak to them, the ones that are on his side. And the question is, okay, you might have understood all this intellectually, you said that you believe me, but the question is now, are you going to trust me? You might say, yes, I kind of agree with what you said, but on your own, that's enough. It's time to ask, will you actually follow me? Will we follow Jesus? We might understand who he is, but will we let that understanding lead to real trust, real action? Will we let him carry us across that tightrope, as it were? Well, in our passage today, this is the question that Luke is putting before us. Will we trust Jesus? Will we go further than just intellectually understanding who he is? Will we put our lives in his hands? And what does it look like to do that? What does it look like to follow this Jesus? What will it look like to really trust him? What does it take to find honour before this kind of king? Well, we've got three points for today. A stark contrast, gospel courage and a church built on weakness. As always, you can find them online on the hub if you'd like to have them in front of you. Uh, We're going to go through them, but let's start with that first one uh, and have a look at our passage because Luke is asking us this question by giving us these two little stories, these two little observations. Um, There's a little section about the Jewish leaders and then there's a little section about the widow and the two of them together make a very stark contrast. Let's have a look together. Jesus Talks about, the Jewish, talks about the Jewish leaders first. Um, this is at the end of chapter 20. Uh, let's have a look at what it says together. It says, uh, While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, as we said, he's, he's finished confronting the Jewish leaders. He's turning back to his followers. He's speaking to his disciples again. He says, Beware the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes, love to be greeted with respect in marketplaces, love to have the most important seats in the synagogue, the places of honour at banquets. Um, this is what those Jewish leaders were like. This, they had these fancy special robes. When, when a Jewish leader like this would walk through the, the marketplace in Jerusalem, the custom or kind of the idea was that everyone who was sitting there having their latte had to stand up and, and stand up and watch the Jewish leader walk by just as a mark of respect. Uh, and they had the most important seats in the synagogue. A synagogue was sort of the Jewish religious meeting place. It's you know, a bit like a church. Um, the Jewish people would go to, go to uh, synagogue every Saturday, every Sabbath day. 
Uh, and at the front of the synagogue, they would set up a, a row of chairs that was facing out to the congregation. Um, you know, so we could do it here. We could, we could grab a few chairs. We could put them up here on the stage facing this way. We could invite our leadership team maybe to come and sit up here and just kind of sit here through the whole service looking down at us. I don't know if any... Where's our leadership team members? Do we reckon that would be a good idea? I reckon, yeah, Mike's, Mike's keen. You can... Come on, come on up, Mike. No. <laughs> um, but the Jewish teachers of the law, they loved it. They loved this. They loved sitting up the front and having all eyes on them. They loved um, being greeted with respect and having the most important seats in the synagogue and, and at the banquets. They loved it. They loved being seen as important. Loved it when people recognized that they were better than others. But verse 47, Jesus' assessment of these guys is pretty blunt. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. These guys would get up at church on Sunday and do the most long, eloquent, beautiful prayer and then they'd go home and cheat widows out of their their housing that they manage. Religious hypocrites, sort of people that Jesus seems to dislike most of all. They think they're loved by God because they have impressive robes or an impressive position or perhaps um, they're very knowledgeable. They think maybe God loves them because of their special prayers or because they're strong, impressive sort of people, Uh, maybe because they're better than others. But this is not what brings honour before King Jesus. And so Luke now turns to the next little observation. I think it's put here deliberately right after the bit about the Jewish leaders because Luke is showing us the contrast. He wants us to now see what honour before King Jesus does look like. Chapter 21, verses, uh, verses 1 and 2. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of wealth, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a coin, uh, a denarius, do you remember? Uh, the denarius, it had Caesar's image on it. A denarius was about a day's wages. Well, these uh, two little copper coins were about one 128th of a denarius. Uh, so not a lot of money, maybe, uh, maybe the equivalent of a, of a dollar coin today sort of thing. Uh, But the point to Jesus is not that this widow gave much, it's that she gave all she had. She gave all she had to live on. Those those couple of gold coins, that was all she had. And and I think what struck me this week is that it's very stark that she gives two coins. I mean, I think if this was me and I only had two little gold coins, I don't think I'd give even one, but she could have at least given one and then kept the other coin for herself. That would still be remarkably generous, right? But no, she actually gives both of the coins, The widow is nothing like those Jewish teachers. She doesn't have the fancy robes. She doesn't have the high standing or the respected position. She's not strong or impressive. But what she does have is the knowledge that she's not strong. And so she knows that all she can do is trust God. And so she gives everything to him. It's an incredible story, isn't it? Uh, and it probably makes us feel a bit uncomfortable. I mean, lots of us financially, I think, give very generously to the work that God's doing here at church and in other ministries. But I think generally, you know, we, we give what we can afford to give. The widow gives everything she has. But what I will say is, uh, I think first and foremost, I don't actually think this passage is about money. I don't think that's particularly why Luke's put it here. 
Um, there are obviously things we can say about money out of this passage, but I don't think it's a random little just story about finances and generosity that Luke's kind of thrown in um, just because he couldn't find anywhere else to put it. Um, and sometimes if you read the Bible commentators, they, they're trying to work that out, you know, where does this fit? So maybe it's just a little tangent, a little side point that Luke wanted to make. But to know, no, to me, this story is placed perfectly. I think it's the climax to everything we've been looking at these past few weeks. If you've been with us, or if you haven't, we've been looking at how Jesus is the king, how Jesus has authority. Uh, Last week, how Jesus can speak with authority about the age to come. And the logical conclusion to all of that is, okay, if Jesus is who he said he is, if he does have the authority that he's been talking about, if he can offer real hope of of resurrection, well, the the logical response is to give everything to him. Give authority, give respect, give honour. Trust him with everything you've got. Let him carry you across that tightrope, knowing that he's not going to drop you. But as we get to our second point, like with the tightrope, we know that that's going to take a little bit more than just intellectually understanding who Jesus is, isn't it? Sometimes that's not enough. It's going to take uh, what we might call gospel courage. I uh, don't know where your head's at today, what you're up to, uh, what's been going through your mind, perhaps if you've been with us the last few weeks Um, How you found it as we've confronted who Jesus really is. We've seen him come into the city. We've seen him close up. He's shown us who he is, what he's here to do. He's shown us why he has authority. Some of us still might not be sure that we do trust Jesus. Some of us uh, maybe like the idea of trusting Jesus, but we're not sure exactly what that looks like. Some of us might have been trusting Jesus for years and years and years, and perhaps these last few weeks have just confronted us with Jesus afresh. I think for all of us, the challenge is the same. Jesus did come to Jerusalem a couple of thousand years ago. He showed the people who he was. He showed the people what it means to follow him. And he says, if we're going to follow him, if we're going to find honour before him, well, this is what it looks like, the two stories that we've had read out. And we might, like, we might like reading about him, we might find him compelling, we might think we believe him, we might still have questions to be unsure about and be unsure about some things, but if we want to follow him, eventually we're going to have to stop and decide that we're going to put our lives in his hands. We have to realise that we're weak, realise that we need Jesus, work out that we can't stand before him based on our own strength or our own skills or our own impressiveness, to work out that all we can do is that we can figure out that we're a weak person and we can choose to trust Jesus. Um, you know, when uh, Charles Blondin couldn't find any of those volunteers, uh, none of them agreed to go across the river. Well, um, Blondin had a manager and so he said to the manager, well, we've been advertising this thing and all the people are here and you're my manager, you know, no one else is going to do it. I think it's going to have to be you. Uh, I don't know if the manager thought about resigning on the spot. Um, but one way or another, he decided to do it. And so the manager hops on Blondin's back and out they go across the tightrope. Everyone's watching. Uh, and this is, this is how the story goes. Blondin, he, as I said before, he'd, he'd already gone across with a big sack as heavy as a person, so he, we know he could do it. Um, but of course, a living human is a bit different, you know, wriggles around and um, that sort of thing. And see, you know, the tightrope started to sway what happened is the manager on the back just found, him, found him nat- himself naturally sort of trying to correct. You know, he was trying to help. You know, Blondin would lean that way so the manager would lean back this way to try and stay steady. Uh, you're wondering about what's going to happen now, aren't you? Um, the story goes that Blondin stopped and 
probably very sternly, probably very loudly, because, you know, there's a giant waterfall right there, he said to his manager something like this, "Uh, if we're going to make it out of this alive, you need to trust me completely. If you keep trying to do this, you're going to kill us both. If you you try and rely on your own strength, your own balance, we're just going to topple over and plunge to our deaths. The only way to survive this is to know that you can't do it. Just be still and trust me completely. Try and save yourself and you'll lose yourself. And the manager was able to stop and, and go totally limp and, and born and did carry him across. And actually they both lived into old age. So there you go, happy ending. Uh, but amazing story, isn't it? But geez, that would take a lot of guts to be on that acrobat's bat, uh, back and to do nothing to put your life in the hands of another, to have that total trust in someone else. And yet this is the sort of courage and trust that Jesus calls us to, isn't it? He calls us to put our lives into his hands, to trust him, to say, I'm weak, I can't do this on my own, I can't contribute anything. I might have doubts, I might have fears, but Jesus, I want to rely totally on you. I can't stand before God based on my skills or impressiveness or my godliness or my morals or, you know, that's all the stuff that the Jewish leaders thought that they could do to stay uh, in the clear before God. I can only come before you with weakness and put my life into your hands. And that takes a lot of courage. And how do we find that courage? Well, uh, I think it's a good question. I think we probably start by reading God's word, by reading about Jesus, by learning about him. Seeing his authority, remembering that he does have authority. He's God's son. He is who he said he is. He's qualified for the role. He does know what he's doing. For those who were here last week, I found it really helpful what Carl was teaching us about how Jesus can speak with authority about the age to come because he knows. He knows what it's like. He's seen it. And we don't know everything about the new creation, but Jesus can speak with authority about it. And so we can trust him. Not only can we look to Jesus' authority, but we can also look to his sacrifice. We're looking at this week in Jesus' life at the moment, and we know that at the end of this week, Jesus is going to willingly die to pay the price for our sin. He goes to the cross, knowing that we're weak, knowing that there's no way we could stand before God by our own strength, but knowing that if he took the punishment we deserved, that would open up the way for us to join his kingdom and to be part of the new world that he has in store for us. When we wonder if we can really trust this person, if we can, you know, if we can get up on his back and go across the tightrope, well, know that this is Jesus. He was willing to, you know, fall off the tightrope and crash to the depths in our place. He's made the ultimate sacrifice for us. He didn't do it for nothing. He's won our salvation. And so we can have confidence as we put our lives into his hands. Well, uh, I want to give a little bit of extra time now on on our last point uh, as we try and apply this and land this and talk about perhaps what difference this is going to make. And I thought today there there are lots of ways we could sort of try and apply this. Um, We could talk about how we can trust God and and how if we're going to trust him, that means, you know, choosing to live his way, even if um, it doesn't always seem like it's the best way, but we we choose to do it because we're trusting him. But I thought um, we might do something a little bit different today, and that is that I thought we might... Um, do what we sometimes call a corporate application. Uh, and the question is, if this is true, well, if this is true that the way to find honour before Jesus is to know our weakness and to rely on his strength, to trust, that, uh, trust God like that widow did, not trust in our own impressiveness like the, like the Jewish leaders, well, what difference would that make for us as a church? 
You know, what would it look like for us as a church to be a church that's, you know, built on weakness, as we might say? I wonder what you think. How might this idea that we've looked at shape us as our church, as a church? What might it look like to be a church that's built on weakness? Well, as our regulars will know, it's been a pretty, you know, rough couple of years here at church, um, as it has been for the most most of the world, of course. Um, uh, I feel like I've said it to lots of people the last few weeks. People have sort of been saying things like, "Wow." really feels like there's lots going on at the moment and I've just been trying to remind people, yeah, you know, there is actually, you know, um, this isn't actually a normal phase, you know, we're not in a normal phase of church life at the moment, it's a very turbulent period, there's lots going on, you know, of course there's the COVID thing, we're still, you know, having to wear our masks and everything like that, um, we can't sing God's praises as loudly and as passionately as we normally would like to and of course here at Brighton particularly, we've, uh, we've said goodbye to a senior pastor, we're in an interim period, um, Uh, We've also had a number of people leaving church, all for good reasons. Uh, There's a new church starting, there's people who are moving away. Um, And anyone who's left church over the last couple of months has has said goodbye and been sad to say goodbye and um, has really missed us. Uh, But despite everything going on, I think one one thing that's good in all of this is that it reminds us of our weakness. It reminds us that we are in a world of brokenness, that we are just weak people, that hard things do affect us, that... Uh, we can't do this on our own, that we do need to rely on Jesus. Now, in some ways, it takes us right back to the heart of what church is all about. We're a group of weak, broken people meeting together to encourage each other to trust in the one who's strong. A group of weak, broken people meeting together to encourage each other as we trust in the one who is strong. But here's, here's my question for today. I actually have two questions. Um, the first one is, what would it look like if we were really shaped by this weakness? I think in lots of ways we are. We are shaped um, by our weakness and our trust in God. But uh, just, just think about it. Take our Bible studies, say, our, our growth groups. Um, uh, in our groups, we learn about God. We try and figure out um, the right answers to the interesting questions about the Bible. Uh, but, but as we meet together, do we ever stop and open up to each other and admit our weakness to one another. Yeah, do we do things like confess sin with one another? Do we open up about what's going on in our hearts, our doubts, our insecurities, our weakness? Do we let people see that brokenness? Or do we do a bit more of the putting up the facade and trying to pretend that we're strong and impressive and that we know all the answers, a little bit like those Jewish leaders who liked others to see that they were impressive people? Do we show each other that we're weak and that we're wholly reliant on the grace of Jesus? Here's a suggestion if you're in one of our Bible studies. Um, I know not everyone is, but perhaps as you go to group this week, maybe um, as your group shares prayer points, what about instead of praying for uh, what, how your week's been busy or your work or you know, good things to pray for, don't get me wrong, but is there something that you normally wouldn't share? You know, Maybe something you've been really struggling with. Maybe a sin. You know, here's a sin that I've been thinking about and actually it's a big problem for me and I'd love you guys to pray. You know, to make something up, of course, if there's nothing serious there and maybe nothing particularly does come to mind for you at the moment. But wouldn't it be great if we just had a really, really obvious culture where you could come to our groups in all your weakness and go away from your groups being reminded each week of the grace of God 
I know lots of our groups probably do have that culture, but we do need to be keep being reminded because it's so easy to drift into that attitude of the Jewish leaders. Uh, you know, aren't we all a great group? We always get the answers. You know, we, we have great in-depth discussions. We need to be reminded that we're weak people who rely only on Jesus. And of course, our small groups are only one example. Not everyone's in a growth group, uh, but... But how can we keep creating a culture where it's maybe normal to sit down with a friend from church and have a cup of coffee and talk about things that are vulnerable, uh, be open and vulnerable about where we're at? What would it look like if our church was more and more a church that was marked by this kind of weakness, where we come as we are and each week go away energised by the grace of God? What would that look like in our groups? What would it look like in our... um, on Sundays, what would that look like in our relationships with one another? And when we hurt each other, when we're offended by each other, can we be quick to forgive each other, to be honest with each other, to soften our hearts and show grace and forgiveness and love to one another? Knowing that we're like that widow, we're all just weak people trying to do our best uh, to follow Jesus. And look, all of this can be a little bit subtle, and I'm trying to think of some you know, kind of more specific examples too, but really it's just a question. What would it look like if our culture was growing more and more this way if we knew we were weak and knew we could rely only on the grace of Jesus and were to keep looking to him more and more? Maybe you have some more ideas. That's my first question, though. What what would it look like? My second question, um, and we'll finish with this one, is um, if we did have a church that was shaped more and more by our weakness and more and more by our trust in Jesus, how might God use that? I think this is where it gets a little bit exciting because it's very countercultural, this kind of attitude. You know, our society loves the idea of being true to ourselves um, and about how if we are true to ourselves, we're strong at heart. You know, we're strong people, we're good people at heart. We just need to be true to ourselves and then we can achieve anything. And the gospel says no to all that. It, it does say to be true to ourselves, that that's a good thing, and to be real about who we are. But the difference is it starts with admitting our weakness. We come to Jesus and we don't have to be strong. We don't have to have a carefully curated image that we maintain for others. Our society says, show us your real self because deep down inside you're strong. But the problem is a lot of us, when we look inside, we, we don't actually think that we are strong deep down inside. And so we don't show our true selves. But the gospel says, show me your true self because you're weak. Come to Jesus because Jesus has everything you need. Come with the attitude of the widow, not with the attitude of those Jewish leaders. And wow, if we're a church that can more and more live like that and embody that, surely God could use that mightily, couldn't he? You know, when people come to visit our church, we don't really need to show them that we're a brilliantly put-together organization. We don't really need to show them that um, we're a group of people who are all strong and awesome and well put together. Some people might uh, come and see a group like that and think, oh, that's great, I want to be strong and awesome and well put together too, so I'll join in. Um, But how much more would people want to join us if they came and they saw that we're a group of weak people? That we're the people who admit our flaws, we're the opposite of perfect. How good would it be if this was a place where you could truly put your guard down every week, a place where we can admit our wrongs and our flaws and where we can forgive one another as we together look to the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. I think our church is like that in lots of ways. I think it's something we can keep reminding ourselves of. But I think a church like that is really properly countercultural. You can find all sorts of organisations that are well organised and well put together, but you won't find anywhere else like this. Places that are full of weakness, 
who only look to the grace of Jesus. The only place you'll find that is in Christian churches that put their trust fully in the grace of God. Surely a place like that would be a place that people would want to come and check out, something that people would find compelling, particularly as we come to the end of two hard years where the world's been reminded again and again of just how weak and broken uh, this world is. As we come before God in our weakness, well, that gives, us an, uh, gives God an opportunity to show his strength, an opportunity to work through us mightily for his glory. Well, let's now finish by praying together. I thought rather than to meet us, lead us in prayer this morning, we might just take 30 seconds or so in silence just to pause and reflect. And then we were scheduled to have a prayer of confession today, so we'll put a prayer of confession on the screen. In a minute, we'll get a chance to confess our sins corporately in that way. Uh, So let's pause and reflect for just a moment. Let me invite you to join me as we pray this prayer together. Together, God of grace, you love us, but we have not loved you. You call, but we have not listened. We walk away from neighbours in need, wrapped up in our own concerns. By our actions and our attitudes, we praise what you condemn. Help us to admit our sin, so that as you come to us in mercy, we might repent, turn to you, and receive forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. And dear Father God, we thank you this morning for Jesus. We thank you that he died for us. We thank you that in him we can know we are forgiven. We know, Father, that we are weak. And we thank you that your love, your grace, is so much bigger than our weakness. Would you fill us with the grace and assurance of your love today? In Jesus' name, amen.